This is Smart Women, Smart Power, a podcast that features conversations with some of the world's most powerful women. It goes down to that they take the population into consideration and not leave anyone out. We feature women who are breaking barriers and shaping the future of foreign policy, national security, international business and development. I'm Beverly Kirk, the director of the Smart Women, Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington. The United Nations Office of Project Services, or UNOPS, is a little-known office that helps the UN, governments, and other partners deliver on the UN Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. It works in 80 countries and implements nearly $2 billion in projects annually. Some examples include building roads in Afghanistan, health centers in Haiti, and training midwives in Myanmar. I recently spoke with UNOPS Executive Director and UN Undersecretary General Greta Farimo about the agency's work. Undersecretary General Farimo, welcome to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. Thank you, and I'm really glad to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. I want to jump right in and ask you to explain how UNOPS works and why much of what you do focuses on infrastructure and procurement. So we are part of the UN family. Uh, we're a project-based organization mandated in infrastructure, procurement, and project management. So it means that we would implement around a 1,000 projects in more than 80 countries annually. And of course, we commit to the UN rules. We also run like a business, a non-profit business. So we would always look to deliver the best results because we need to keep our partners happy. Unless they get what they have paid for and what they want, they can walk away. So in that sense, we are unique in the UN family. Let's talk a little bit more about that uniqueness because UNOPS does not ask for or receive core funds, correct? Exactly. So how is the work funded? How does this work? Are you self-financed? Yeah. If we have a good project, we go sell it to potential partners. And if they say yes, they also say yes to uh, uh, reimburse the costs of the project. Actually, they pay up front and they pay a small fee for us to uh, do the job. Essentially, as you mentioned, you're an, a nonprofit business. So is it UN employees who work for UN Ops, just like in other agencies, but you have this different model of working? Yeah, we have uh, around 5,000 people on our contracts. In addition, we have uh, equally many that we put out for hire to other UN agencies who would then manage those people on our contracts too. So you would find at any time around 11,000 people on UNOPS contracts. And as I said, we are a full member of the UN family. Well, I want to delve into some of the work that you're doing. But first, I want to ask you about how this work supports the UN Sustainable Development Goals or SDGs as they're popularly known. So they are, of course, at the core of what we do. We would look for every day how we can add more value to the implementation of the SDGs. Mm -hmm. And uh, we work with partners inside the UN, 
and outside with governments directly or with uh, private companies, foundations, all partners who commit to the UN values and also who want to drive the SDGs, they are good partners of ours. So let's talk about my favorite SDG, and that's SDG 5, gender equality. It wouldn't be smart women, smart power without that. So let's talk specifically about infrastructure surrounding women, because as I was reading and preparing for this conversation, all things are not equal in infrastructure as it relates to women. You're so right. And we've got so used to the infrastructure around us, that sometimes we don't even ask the questions, why did this happen? Why is it that you and I, by some calculations, spend, for instance, uh, six minutes waiting in line to go to the toilet, while men wait on average 11 seconds? Why didn't architects, city planners, national planners change the design? Mm -hmm. It's simply accepted that we spend more time in line to wait for the toilets. And when women fetch water, they, in some places, do that for hours a day. And why do we accept this? Why didn't we plan differently? Why didn't we prioritize differently? It's probably because uh, cities, nations were built by men. Four men, able men, women did not participate in the decision-making. So, of course, when UNOPS is putting uh, uh, gender equality at the core of how we want to plan new infrastructure, this is because the Secretary-General has actually pointed to this as the biggest human rights issue of our time. Really? Yeah. So how do you fix it when UNOPS is working on a project with a partner? What do you say? If you're building a building, there must be more restrooms for women or more stalls in the restrooms for women to accommodate more people? It can happen in very many ways. What we want to avoid is the gender-blind decisions. So simply building awareness around what it takes. Mm -hmm. So when we build a school... In a community where it may be commonly known that the dads don't allow their daughters to go to school. Okay, we engage in that community. And maybe the outcome of that discussion is the school needs to have proper sanitation facilities. And uh, if we build the school that way, who do you think would be the proud parent following their daughters to school? Mm -hmm. We've seen the dads come with their daughters. So simply challenging these common standards, the sort of accepted uh, uh, way of doing things, we find new ways of introducing more gender-balanced infrastructure. You mentioned gender-blind in infrastructure being a, a problem because it contributes to inequality, not equality, which with the term, if you just hear gender-blind uh, infrastructure, you might think, oh, well, that's okay. But is there an education campaign to be to be mounted to help people see what you just described? So, of course, uh, we would advocate this uh, is badly needed because what we discovered together with the Oxford University is that infrastructure, P 
plays into the SDGs in a very serious manner. You can calculate this, but maybe 92% of the costs of implementing the SDGs are linked to infrastructure. And if we don't do this right in a gender perspective, what do we do? Of course, we talk about inequality and we talk about lasting inequality because what is infrastructure about? Well, you actually invest for decades. So if you do it wrong, the wrongdoing may actually continue for decades, generations. So to get these things right in the first place, I think is so important uh, to gender equality. Well, let's talk about some of the projects that you're currently working on. I read at least some of the past projects have involved building roads in Afghanistan, health centers in Haiti, helping midwives be trained in Myanmar. Yeah, We have so many projects and they cut across so many sectors, but I'm thinking, I'm a mother. Mm -hmm. Would I like to have my child in a health center that has unpredictable provision of electricity? No. I would actually care uh, for what is a stable electricity provision. Mm -hmm. So when we work to refurbish health clinics, build new clinics, build hospitals, actually to ensure that the infrastructure is working around what we do. Uh, It goes down to making sure these things are well planned and that they take the population into consideration and not leave anyone out. I mean, this is what the SDGs also are about, not leaving anyone behind. So uh, in so many ways, It's about how we do things to ensure that the services that are provided meet the needs of both gender. You said that you're working in more than 80 countries. Are all of those countries in what's considered the global south? Or does UNOPS just work any place on the globe where this type of work is needed? Uh, What I would say is that you will find us outside the OECD with uh, an exception for a couple of countries. And that is mainly because the distribution of wealth in some countries is really uh, unequal. So sometimes to bridge the gaps, uh, UNOPS is also needed in, uh, in particular countries. But you would find us mainly in the fragile, vulnerable, conflict areas. So we work a lot in the Middle East, We have strong programs in uh, uh, large parts of Africa, Southeast Asia, and you would find us uh, doing a lot of health infrastructure, roads, as you mentioned. Sometimes it's access to markets. Sometimes it is capacity building. We help also governments uh, spend their national resources uh, in some areas better. So, uh, yeah, we do a lot. And the infrastructure is not just physical that you work on. You also work on digital infrastructure, correct? Yeah, we do. And of course, we also uh, digitalize our own business processes uh, to ensure that we're cost efficient and also effective. We have to uh, look for ways to uh, both apply the technology and drive new solutions. Uh, I think... uh, we started out by talking who, about who is UNOPS. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we can drive innovative ways of doing things, 
we can add more value to our partners. We can actually have some breakthroughs that leave uh, some of our partners with uh, really surprises on how uh, well we have been able to deliver. So I think you would find that in our DNA, that technology counts, innovation counts. And to no one's surprise, the digital infrastructure has the same issues for gender as physical infrastructure uh, in terms of there being a challenge and the the global digital infrastructure divide hits women harder, just as the physical infrastructure issues hit women harder. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. Actually, I did a TED Talk on that. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> because, again, uh, if we don't uh, uh, consider... Uh, what we have done so far, we risk doing the same when we go uh, more and more digital, allow the development uh, too much uh, to the hands of men. So how can we engage uh, women in the education, in the planning, in the decision making to mm -hmm. ensure that, for instance, the artificial intelligence when built also take into consideration female perspectives on, on what we do. Uh, we did a test simply typing CEO, firefighter into our phones. And what do you think showed up? Emojis of men, because they would see more male CEOs than men. So, of course, the artificial intelligence would think these were men only. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And on the data, if you look at uh, car crashes, women, when in car crashes, frontal, um, we are more exposed to severe injuries, even deaths. I, I saw the figure, 76% more exposed to severe injuries. And why? Because these car safety features are designed after using male dummies. Huh? The crash dummies are, are male yeah. figures. So why are we more exposed? Because we tend to be smaller and lighter. And this is no shocking news. I think women have been that way all the time. And why has this not been taken into consideration? I become so curious. The older I get, the more curious I am. Why did this happen? Why didn't we question this before? But it's good that it's being questioned now. Let's talk a bit about procurement because that's the other area that uh, UNOPS works in. So what is its role? Explain the types of things that, uh, that you do in this space. So UN would normally look at how we can spend the efficient, official development aid as well as possible, efficient, effective. Procurement is about, of course, doing that, but also in addition, how we can help governments use their national resources as well as possible. Because if we look at the SDGs again, it has been calculated. It will require $7 trillion annually to implement the SDGs towards the 2030. Six of those uh, trillions would probably have to come from private sector, one from public. And if the public spend is improved by only a couple of percent, it has also been calculated that it would be more important than the ODA. 
So uh, for anyone who is engaged in the implementation of the SDGs, you have to look beyond the official development date. And this is what we're doing in UNOPS. We look at how we can help governments improve their public spend. And again, going back to health uh, and pharmaceuticals, health equipment, we have been working with a number of governments and the savings we have been able to uh, uh, help them uh, um, drive has been shocking. I mean, uh, through uh, open public procurement, competitive procurement processes, we have helped savings in the big numbers. And this is, of course, to the benefit of the citizens because the rebates can be used for more equipment, more medicines. So this is what we do. And just a quick follow-up, you mentioned ODA. For those in the audience who may not know what that means, what does ODA stand for? So this is the official development aid that uh, a number of governments would, uh, of course, uh, decide uh, on nationally. Uh, and uh, they would also decide what channels they would uh, prefer to use. So uh, official development aid is uh, to a fair amount mm -hmm. uh, channeled through the UN. So uh, that is, of course, uh, money that uh, the different UN agencies are looking to spend as efficiently as possible. And in our final few minutes, I want to pivot just to you personally and your career, because this is not your first your first position. You actually were a senior government official in your native Norway. You served as defense minister, which will be of interest to many people listening to this podcast. How did your work in government perhaps help you with the job you have now? And I should also mention you worked in the private sector as well at Microsoft. Yeah, I am this rare bird who uh, was in government for, for 10 years uh, and uh, uh, left for private uh, sector. So I worked, as you mentioned, with um, uh, Microsoft and also in finance. When I was newly educated, I worked in development cooperation as well. So coming to UNOPS, I feel I can bring these experiences together. I know much about politics. I know a lot about development and uh, also with finance uh, and uh, technology, it allows me to bring my experience into an organization that is pretty much based on private. Uh, as I mentioned, we run like a business, but uh, we uh, are not holding a policy mandate. So having been a former politician, I hopefully know how to stay out of the politics, simply get the job done. That is what we are for in the UN system. And UNOPS manages to kind of fly below the radar in certain ways. Is that because of your background in knowing how to get things done and not call necessarily unwanted attention to, to the agency, only the kind of attention that you like having? So I've been with UNOPS five and a half years, and uh, I'm very happy to say that we have had a very healthy growth in our delivery. So we know that our services are in demand, and we know with the SDGs that with our business model, we can probably pilot a lot of new ways of working, also with governments and the private sector. 
And this is the good news. But the downside of that is these new potential partners won't find you if they don't know who you are. So that is why we are now stepping up our communication. And I would like us to have this profile of being a, a good partner who would help partners achieve their goals. And if we can help in build these win-wins, I think it will benefit the uh, SDGs and our end beneficiaries in a big way. Greta Faramal, thank you so much for being here on the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much. Subscribe to the Smart Women, Smart Power podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to good content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Smart Women, and I'm at Beverly Kirk. Thanks for listening. See you next time.